they return to uh, nearly normal service. Uh, my regular segment, Week in Cricket, makes a return, uh, mainly to acknowledge the fact that there is an awful lot of cricket going on at the moment. Uh, county Championship and quadruple centuries aside, uh, England are contesting an ODI series, uh, although low scoring is hugely exciting. Uh, England women, who I'll come to later, uh, finish uh, what's been a mixed T20I series against South Africa, although it was a 3-0 victory. It's not not one of the best examples of the quality of the women's game, and we'll do some more detail in that in a segment later on this evening. What I will look at, though, is uh, three uh, interesting series going on around the world at the moment. We'll start uh, in Sri Lanka, uh, seeing the first test in a, a little of the second, which is still going on as I record this, uh, from Pakistan's tour. Uh, so it's had a bit of everything in Sri Lanka, showing uh, that they are once again a, a force to be reckoned with on home soil. Uh, we look at the limited over series between India and the West Indies, uh, not covered, not given quite as much airtime. Uh, a lot of chatter at the moment about the, uh, the long-term validity of the 50-over format, um, but this series uh, giving a chance for some of the Indians' uh, younger, uh, less experienced players to make a name for themselves before next year's 50-over World Cup. And we'll end uh, by looking at New Zealand's Tour of Ireland, uh, where New Zealand take a, a 6-0 clean sweep of the three ODIs and three, uh, three T20Is, which doesn't perhaps uh, quite do justice to the uh, the quality with which Ireland played their limited overs cricket. We'll start in Sri Lanka uh, for Pakistan's uh, test tour of the nation. And in particular, we'll start with the, the first test at Gaul, which ended in a, uh, a Pakistani win by four wickets. And it was by no means a, uh, a clear cut thing. Um, Sri Lanka have been playing good cricket recently. They gave uh, Australia a decent run for their money uh, earlier in the summer and they seem to have embarked on a real period of growth uh, under the, uh, the the coaching of Chris Silverwood, um, who moved to Sri Lanka uh, following the end of his tenure with England, including a few good younger players. Uh, Jaya Saria, the newfound spinner, who seems to be a revelation uh, for Sri Lanka, having taken shed loads of wickets in the past two test series. But we'll start at the end. Uh, a very, very tense finale, a tense finish uh, for Pakistan, uh, who on the final morning uh, were chasing a target of 120 uh, with seven wickets in hand. And yeah, it was a, a, almost a catastrophic start. You know, Mohammad Rizwan uh, missed the ball. The ball then missed his pad. The ball then missed the stumps uh, by a whisker, uh, denying Jayasriya a well-deserved wicket. Later on as well, Abdullah Shafiq, who uh, we'll come to shortly, who had a match-winning century uh, in the in the uh, fourth and final innings, was also hit on the back leg. Uh, the Sri Lankans, as they there once, uh, led by Dick Weller behind the stumps, went up in appeal. It was a judge not out, uh, missing the stumps, climbing over. Uh, and once again, another uh, comprehensive shout for Sri Lanka turned down and lost on review. Once again, the ball missing the stumps. Not just the the the, the play uh, that threatened Pakistan's chance of victory, but so too the prevailing weather conditions. You know, a, a large black cloud uh, settled over the ground for a long period of time uh, when Pakistan were chasing 25. You know, the target so very clearly in sight, uh, nearly spoiled uh, by the weather. Fortunately, uh, Abdullah Shafiq, who'd been batting for nearly 400 deliveries. 
uh, not wanting this game to end in a, in a rain-affected draw, uh, tried to uh, charge the match along, tried to finish it quickly, which resulted in him also being dropped on the boundary by Dan and Jared De Silva, uh, denying uh, Sri Lankans a wicket. And it might have been a constellation wicket at that stage with about 25 to get on the board, but certainly a chance they will rue not taking. But it shouldn't discredit uh, uh, Shafiq's uh, real talent to see Pakistan home uh, in this first test match. Uh, batting first, Sri Lanka put on a respectable total, uh, 222, which in the conditions and the, uh, the, this, the Pakistani pace attack uh, looked fairly credible. Um, the standout scored Dinesh Chandamal, batting number five, his 76, helping steady the ship after some early order fails. Uh, and a bit of a collapse from the lower middle order as well. A couple of 30s here and there to help them tick over. But 2-2-2, two, 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 uh, not exactly a formidable first things total, uh, but one to, to, to challenge uh, this Pakistani batting lineup, uh, largely uh, largely unused to these Sri Lankan conditions. The pick of the bowler is Shaheen Sharafridi, who picked up four wickets in his 14 overs. In response, Pakistan scuttled quite cheaply, 218 runs all out, uh, Babar Azam uh, scoring 119 of them. Uh, a really strong batting performance from him, given that no other batsman in his team passed 19. Uh, that was Mohamed Rizwan. Uh, at one point, Pakistan finding themselves 5 for 73 and really failing to push on and capitalise, uh, being well restricted uh, by the Sri Lankan bowlers, in particular Prabeth Jayasaria, who, adding to his uh, his uh, extensive tally from the Test series against Australia, also picked up five in the first innings here at a really respectable economy rate. Uh, a marathon bowling stint from him, having bowled 39 overs uh, in the Pakistani innings. Sri Lanka fared much better second time round. I think uh, yeah, a pitch that slowed down and didn't do much to help the Pakistani pace attack. They were able to push on uh, to 337, setting a formidable total for Pakistan to chase in the fourth innings. Dinesh Chandamal, again standing out with the bat, uh, chalking up 94 not out. Uh, a few helpful con contributions from uh, Oshada Fernando, who made 64, and Kusel Mendes, 76. The real excitement, though, came in Pakistan's second innings. Chasing a target of 342, uh, they very nearly threw it away quite cheaply at one point, finding themselves uh, two for 104. Uh, before uh, the middle order managed to uh, pull together some credible partnerships to get them over the line. Nervy moments towards the end of the game. Rizwan uh, giving away a few chances before he was eventually uh, bowled LBW by Jaya for 40. And Abdullah Shafiq playing and missing on multiple occasions. Dropped in the deep and two LBW chances turned down as we identified earlier before he finished 160 not out. With reins threatening... And with the uh, Sri Lankan bowlers obviously tiring, they were able to push on and punish uh, the Sri Lankan bowling attack on the fifth and final day. A good win for Pakistan and an even more impressive win for Abdullah Shafiq, who's 160 not out of 408 deliveries, really highlights his ability uh, as a, a gritty, attritional opening batsman. You know, he's played six matches so far uh, in his very limited uh, international career, and he's already chalked up 720 runs at an average of 80. A knock that includes uh, uh, two centuries and uh, four fifties. It's a really impressive start uh, to a young batsman uh, who brings an awful lot of uh, of strength to what is otherwise uh, an occasionally fragile and sporadic Pakistani batting lineup.
uh, as I record uh, this segment on uh, on Tuesday evening, uh, the second test also at Gaul is well underway. Uh, day three concluded this morning uh, with Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka leading by 323 runs. They fared much better in the first innings this time around, posting a score of 378. Again, it seemed to be the story of the Sri Lankan summer, where their top and middle order are all making contributions, but none of them are pushing onto that big score. A 50 for Fernando, an 80 for Dinesh Chandamal, a couple of 40s for Karuna Ratner and Angelo Matthews, uh, seeing them to 378. Uh, Pakistan in response, 231, another disappointing uh, innings from then the... Uh, Centurion and Matchwin Abdullah Shafiq making a two-ball duck uh, and some contributions from the, the middle order. Imam Al-Huk made 32 and Aga Salman made 62 before uh, uh, Mendes in particular uh, did the damage, picking up five wickets, ably supported by Prabeth Jayasarir, who again has bowled another marathon spell of 37 overs. As I record this, Sri Lanka are in the midst of their second innings and seem to be going well, 176 for five, establishing a good lead over Pakistan and one that promises to be quite uh, quite challenging going into day four and day five. Interesting to see the results. Sri Lanka, I think, really deserving uh, a victory in this test, having played brilliantly so far. We move next to the port of Spain for India's limited overs tour of the West Indies. And a look at some of the uh, lesser known figures of the Indian game as they look to, uh, to stake a claim to places in next summer's 50 over World Cup. First ODI then, uh, it was an old familiar name who cemented the Indian innings, uh, getting them a, a solid 3-1, uh, three, uh, three run win um, over the West Indies as they fell just short of the mark, uh, chasing uh, the Indian first innings total of 308. It was Shikhar Darwin captaining this ODI side at the top of the order, who's 97 off 99, uh, set the tempo. Uh, for a solid Indian performance. A century opening partnership between him and Shubman Gill, who contributed 64 before he was run out by Nicholas Puran, uh, set the tempo for the rest of the innings. Uh, in theory, allowing the middle order to push on and get some big scores, but it didn't quite work out like that. A bit of a middle order collapse from two uh, for 213 uh, to 294 for six, uh, putting the brakes slightly on the Indian charge. But Shiras Iyer made a good 54 and some 20s from uh, Deepak Huda and XR Patel in the middle uh, in lower orders, seeing India to 308 for 7. Pick of the West Indian bowlers, Alzari Joseph took 2 for 61. And Gudakesh Moti, uh, largely untested at an international level so far, uh, also picking up 2 wickets for 54 runs. Uh, no Jason Holder in this attack, uh, Alzari Joseph and Jaden Seals uh, leading the West Indian bowling, both of whom quite expensive. In response, uh, the West Indies fell tantalisingly short. I think when you're chasing a score like 308, and as the West Indies were, and they found themselves 305 for six, all those wickets in hand, it seems a shame that the charge didn't start sooner. And it is as a result of some canny bowling, uh, particularly in the middle overs and towards the end, uh, that restricted them uh, to a larger total. A tricky start saw Shy Hope dismissed for seven early on, uh, leaving the West Indies 16 for one. But a good partnership between Myers and Shamrar Brooks uh, saw them to 133 for two before Brooks was dismissed. Brandon King made a contribution 54. Nicholas Puran, captaining in this ODI series, made 25 uh, before the West Indies fell just short of the line. Akil Hussain and Romario Shepherd's uh, last gasp flourish. Uh, Hussain's 32 off 32 and Shepherd's 39 off 25 including three fours and two sixes, falling tantalisingly short 
uh, at the end. When a team, as I said earlier, falls short with so many wickets in hand, it does seem like a shame they didn't start taking risks earlier. But it is an inex a comparatively inexperienced West Indian lineup who are still trying to find their way and find their centre uh, as a new look team, missing some of the experienced players from the last campaign. Second ODI, uh, a familiar face taking player of the match and one who uh, I'm sure England fans will not be looking forward to seeing again. Aksar Patel. Uh, 64 off 35 in a chase and a, a good economical spell of bowling in the West Indian innings, uh, in, ensuring he took the plaudits and uh, really stakes a claim for his place uh, in the Indian side going into the next 50 over World Cup. A good, uh, a good score at the top of the orders for West Indies though, Shy Hope made a, a century 115 off 135. Uh, to, to get them off to a flyer. A good opening partnership with Kyle Myers, worth 65 before Myers was dismissed. Brandon King failed to fire in the middle order, uh, making a five-ball duck before he was caught by Shikha Darwin off of Chahal's bowling. And Nicholas Puran uh, made a good 74 from 77 before he was clear-bowled by Shadol Fakur. West Indies creeping along to 311 for six, uh, a respectable competitive total, and one that uh, they would have hoped to have defended. Uh, Shadal Thakur being the pick of the bowlers, uh, taking three wickets, uh, but at much more than a runner ball, having considered 54 runs from his seven overs. Huda, Patel and Chahal all picking up wickets as well. In response, uh, India lost wickets at a, a fairly consistent rate, uh, with most of their top order really failing to fire and post a big score. Shikhar Dhawan fell for 13, Shubman Gill made a well-constructed 43, but below a runner ball. Shiras Ayer, 63 off 71. And Shirakama Yadav making nine from eight, uh, where things looking uh, slightly desperate um, as we started to creep into the Indian middle order as the West Indians took some wickets fairly consistently. Shepard, Myers, Joseph and Hussain uh, sharing the honours. And then Aksar Patel came to the crease. Uh, 64 from 35. A knock that included five sixes and three fours. Uh, a redoubtable innings from him uh, that really took the initiative away from the West Indies back into the favour of the Indians and secured them a victory with two balls to spare. Although his batting partners fell around him, Shadal Fakur only making three, Avesh Khan making ten, Mohamed Siraj stayed around uh, one off one, a good 100% strike rate from him, ensuring that Patel had enough partners uh, to take the game deep and post a final score of 312 uh, for eight. Uh, Patel uh, rightly taking credit uh, for a successful run chase there. Lots to take away from this series, um, particularly uh, the increasing chatter around the validity and long-term uh, success and popularity of this 50-over format, both in light of the uh, recent England-South uh, Africa series and as well as the, the sheer volume of cricket that is being played at the moment. Um, can it really remain a, a viable franchise? I hope so. I think it's a very exciting form, given in particular that in England currently hold the World Cup for it. But I do worry for its future, uh, given the popularity of other limited overs formats of the game. And the fact that it does almost seem to have been reduced to a, a, a second string, a second focus for most countries at the moment. We'll end this week's Week in Cricket on a white ball theme. In particular... And we'll wrap up with New Zealand's 6-0 victory uh, across all formats of their tour of Ireland. Off the back of a disappointing test summer uh, in England, uh, the New Zealand white ball set up uh, sought to, uh, to take on the, uh, the ambitious uh, Irish white ball side.
Yeah, they're known to cause some updates. They've got Paul Sterling there, Andy Balberni, um, as well as some younger, newer players who were looking to do some damage. Curtis Camfer had a good breakout summer a couple of years ago, and Harry Tector continues to impress with the bat. A 6-0 margin of victory doesn't really do justice uh, to the resistance the Irish showed. You know, the leading run scorer in ODIs, Harry Tector, made 225 from his three innings, a respectable average of 75. And even in the ODIs, Mark Adair uh, posted a good 89, Dan Cleaver making 88. There's plenty of positives to take away from this Irish side. You know, Curtis Camphers five wickets uh, in the ODIs, Josh Little's eight in the T20Is, uh, really show some strength and depth from this Irish squad who've been threatened uh, often threaten upsets and have posed challenges for the likes of England in the recent past. There's plenty of enjoyment for the, new, for the, for the Kiwis to take as well. As well. You know, Glenn Phillips started with a bat, uh, particularly the T20 eyes. Here's 148 from three innings coming at an average of 148. Uh, a strong showing from him. So too Michael Bracewell. 190 runs in the ODIs. Uh, undoubtedly doing him a world of confidence after what was a mixed uh, test series uh, coming into play against England. Most crucially for him, and most famously for him perhaps, was his hat-trick. You know, the third ODI, sorry, third, uh, second T20I, uh, he took a hat-trick, uh, so did he also took a 3-4 uh, to, to reduce Ireland uh, to 91 all-out in their chase. Disappointing for them, but uh, something good to see uh, uh, with the ball, particularly uh, for Bracewell, a good new hope for uh, New Zealand's white ball side. Uh, plenty to write home about with this bowling display. Jacob Duffy picking up two, Ish Sodi picking up three from 21, and Michael Bracewell's three, uh, three wickets uh, came in only five deliveries as he was able to wrap up uh, Adair, McCarthy and Young to conclude the Irish innings for 91. An enjoyable series, uh, hopefully one that Ireland can take an awful lot away from and one that will do uh, a wonders of confidence, no doubt, to the New Zealand white ball side who are looking to, uh, to contest and hopefully make it all the way in this year's T20I World Cup and make up uh, for some of the pain suffered uh, in 2019 when they contest the 50 over World Cup in a year's time. Good displays from both sides. Good to see one of some of the smaller nations uh, going toe to toe with some of the larger ones. Particularly useful, I think, to reinforce the value of the uh, ODI setup uh, for both of these teams. Plenty more cricket on the way. Doesn't seem to stop at the moment. Uh, and I will shortly uh, get into my uh, T20I wrap up uh, for England and South Africa women. I'd like to stay and talk a bit more about Sam Northeast's quadruple century. Uh, I'm sure we'll come on to that in good time. I'd like to you know, do a little wrap up of England's ODI series against South Africa. Again, I'm sure we'll get there. But plenty to consider in the world of cricket, plenty going on, and we look forward to the next, next test series, England versus South Africa, starting in a few weeks' time. When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. 
Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation. At A.J. Wakeley & Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it, guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website, www.ajwakely.com, for more information or call Clive Wakely on 01935 479913. The Racing Show, Three Valleys Radio weekly look at the world of horse racing with weekly special guests, including jockeys, trainers, ex-jockeys, including former jockey of Desert Orchid, Colin Brown. Every Friday at 7, a must for followers of the turf. You're listening to Three Valleys Community Radio. It takes a look at England women's recent uh, 3-0 T20i victory over South Africa. It's been a bit of a state of flux for this England T20i side. Lots of new young players coming in, largely untested on the international scene. Izzy Wong uh, being a really good example who impressed in the Test Series and hopes to bring her uh, her enthusiasm, her fight and most importantly her raw pace uh, to bear in white ball cricket. Three T20Is, uh, unfortunately played in slightly smaller provincial grounds. The first at Chelmsford, uh, taking place uh, earlier uh, this week, uh, and England chasing down a, a fairly under par total of 111 uh, within 15 overs. Despite all the impressive new talent on display, it's some of the older, more experienced, uh, clear heads who are able to see England safely to victory. Uh, Catherine Brunt taking four wickets uh, for just 15 runs, uh, by far being the standout bowling performance, as England were able to restrict South Africa to a well below par score of 111. Early inroads were made by Brunt as she removed both Goodall and Lose for Ducks before she picked up the crucial wicket of Woolvart, uh, who'd made uh, 55 or 49 deliveries uh, in the middle order, the only South African batter. Uh, to show any real resistance uh, to England's excellent bowling display. A lot to be said uh, for some of these young players coming in, though. Issy Wong's uh, four overs, uh, although she didn't take any wickets, she was economical at 19 runs. And she's said in an interview with Wisdom that she just wants to go out and bowl as fast as she can. And she wants to be the first, uh, first women bowler to consistently uh, bowl above 80 miles an hour. And despite her being a young player, it looks likely she'll be able to achieve this. She may sometimes lack control, um, but it's certainly her enthusiasm and her aggression uh, that she brings to her bowling uh, threatens to keep her as a mainstay in this England side for a long time to come. Uh, Nat Siver also picked up a wicket. Sophie Eccleston took two and Glenn also picked up a wicket in the middle over. Uh, a below par batting display you felt for South Africa. You know, only one batter passing 55 and only one other batter making it into double figures. In response, England... Uh, it didn't perhaps go as planned. Uh, Danny Wyatt dismissed for a four-ball duck. 
and uh, uh, Bryony Smith uh, falling for two, um, you know, leaving England in all sorts of trouble at 30 for two. But they were steered masterfully uh, to victory by Sophia Dunkley opening for the first time in T20Is, who made a well-constructed 59 from 39 balls uh, to get England comfortably over the line. Although she fell uh, with only 87 on the scoreboard, Heather Knight and Amy Jones were able to see England to safety, uh, shepherding them home uh, comfortably with five overs to spare. A comprehensive win for England. Uh, you felt the South African lineup lacked experience, and most importantly, their batter, their bowling lineup lacked control. You can't blame the bowlers too much in these scenarios. Defending a total of 111 against a team with the batting depth of England is never easy. But even so, too many loose deliveries, too many full tosses, too many extras conceded uh, made easy pickings for the likes of Dunkley and Knight as they were able to uh, safely shepherd England uh, to their first victory in the series. The second T20, again at a provincial ground in Worcester, saw a, a much revived and improved South African performance, but again proving no match uh, for a, an experienced England team. Batting first once again, South Africa posted a much more respectable total of 148 for six. Uh, the top of the order in particular, Bosch and Goodall, putting on a 102 run opening stand before Goodall was dismissed by the bowling of Alice Capsey. I think only her second ball in international cricket, uh, picking up the wicket of Goodall. The rest of the South African lineup team seemed to fall away relatively cheaply. No sooner had Goodall gone than Bosch followed for 61. Uh, Wolvart was able to get a start 21 off 15 before she was bowled by Brunt, uh, who then in turn became the uh, highest uh, England female wicket taker, overtaking Annie Shrubsole in the process to 103 international wickets. Tryon fell for one, Loose fell for one, Dupree's uh, brilliantly run out by Nat Siver for nine, uh, leaving South Africa 148 for six. A better score than their first match by no doubt but one that still fell uh, short of a truly competitive total um, up against the experience of the England batting lineup. Dunkley was able to start off uh, continuing her excellent run of form from the first match. She made 23 or 15 before she was caught by Ismail off the bowling of class. And Danny Wyatt, uh, reeling from her duck in the first match, uh, got a, a, a well-constructed 39 off of 24. Uh, starting off England's chase well. Uh, they reached 50 uh, after five overs, um, allowing uh, Siver and Jones uh, to push on and secure the win comfortably with an over to spare. Nat Siver in particular is 47 off of 41, the pick of the England chase before she was run out, uh, unwisely pushing a second run um, to, to keep the scoreboard ticking over. Amy Jones and Maya Bouchier uh, comfortably seeing England over the line, uh, 20 for Jones, 9 for Bochier, and seeing them home with 6 balls to spare. Another comprehensive win, giving them both the T20i series and the ODI series a good summer for England women so far. The third and final uh, uh, T20i perhaps being the most impressive, another comfortable win for England and one in which Sophie Eccleston emerges as by far the player of the match. Uh, uncharacteristically batting first in this series, England posted 176 for six. Uh, Eccleston taking 33 off 12, including a new record 26 uh, from the final over. 
uh, a really disappointing uh, bowling display at the death uh, from Masabata class, who uh, showed a distinct lack of control, several loose de uh, deliveries being uh, rightly punished by Eccleston. Um, three fours, two sixes, and a two run, uh, giving a, 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 their final over a real boost, uh, ensuring England got to a very competitive score of 176 from six. Although Dunkley couldn't have got a worse start, a first ball duck for her. Danny Wyatt was able to push on 30 of 25, Capsie 25, Nat Cyber 24 of 24, including another one of her trademark Natmeg shots. And Amy Jones, 28 off 18, meant that although wickets fell consistently throughout the innings, they were always rotating strike, they were pushing for more runs, and they were looking to pose a competitive total. Uh, Boche dismissed uncharacter well, uh, unusually actually, she could have uh, been dismissed for two separate reasons. Uh, she could have been given out, caught behind, an attempted sweep shot, uh, meeting with an, uh, a top edge going behind to the wicketkeeper, before taking unusually several steps down the track, uh, and before turning round uh, to regain her ground, before the uh, Jafta, the wicketkeeper, the South African wicketkeeper, removed the bales, and she was adjudged run out in the process. But seeing England home, Brunt and Eccleston, uh, an excellent final over of 26 runs, taking England from a, a fairly average 150 to an easily defendable 176 for six. In response, uh, England were all over the South Africans fairly quickly. It took them four balls to strike, Izzy Wong using her pace to uh, go straight through Goodall's defences, uh, clean bowling her for two, uh, Wong's only wicket of this T20i series, but undoubtedly showcasing her talent, her depth and her ability to bowl quickly in these conditions. A lot also needs to be said of the other debutant, uh, Freya Kemp, only 17 years old, and picking up two crucial wickets uh, early on uh, to limit South Africa's batting display. Picking up the wicket of the other um, opener, Taz, um, Anake Bosch, and number three, Tasmin Brits, uh, both of whom uh, can take a game uh, beyond the opposition with their batting. Once the resistance of the top order fell, uh, the middle order failed to push on, and they uh, proved as inadequate in the chase as they had done batting first. 138 for six, uh, ending well short of England's first innings target of 176 runs, uh, giving England a 3-0 series victory, uh, their final match being won by 38 runs. It's a promising sign for England that these young bowlers such as Kemp, such as Wong, and such as Bell in the ODI and Test series can come in and take wickets and bowl well. It's good for the strength and depth of the side, and it's also good that they can learn from these experienced operators like Eccleston and like Brunt, who are able to use their nearly decades of experience in the game uh, to positively impact these young players. Although some of these matches you know, didn't necessarily the, the highlight the true strength and talent of the women's game, you know, some of the bowling and fielding from South Africa in particular left an awful lot to be desired. It did highlight the importance uh, of putting these fixtures at the forefront of the summer calendars in the UK and uh, you know, really highlights, I think, the importance uh, of these international fixtures to the women's game. It's a shame they found themselves at these provincial grounds. I think uh, you know, giving the larger grounds a chance and an opportunity to host these women's fixtures will really boost the profile of the game, as well as uh, giving these players the uh, the opportunity, the chance uh, to play on uh, you know, men's international quality pitches. 
I'm sure the game will continue to develop and grow, more investment in the grassroots, more displays on free-to-air television. But it's been a good summer so far for the women's game. And I hope with the uh, with the 100 and the positive publicity that that brought last season carrying on into this year, it will continue to grow and develop further. That's my summary of the uh, women's T20i fixtures. Hey, are you going to the Yeovil Ukulele Festival? Sunday the 4th of September at Haysbury Mill near Crookern. 11 o'clock in the morning till 9 at night with big acts from the ukulele world including Plastic Jesus, Tricity Vogue, The Hedge Inspectors, 80s icon Sam Brown, Pete Brown, Hester Goodman from the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain, and local duo in sync. Tickets are available from the website www.yovelukulele.club and on the door. And it's all in aid of mind in Somerset. There'll be performances across two stages, workshops, strum and sing-alongs, trade stands, food, raffle and more. So make sure you get there. September the 4th at Hazelbury Mill near Crookhead. When I'm cleaning windows. You're listening to Three Valleys Community Radio. And for you there, before we start to look at perhaps some more deciding the sort of balls and who bowls the sort of best sort of stock ball, whether it's in-swinger, out-swinger, yorker, bouncer, etc, etc. Uh, what's the most satisfying dismissal for you as a bowler? The most satisfying dismissal I've ever had? Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a very good question. Uh, there's not been many, let's be honest. Um, I usually bowl first change to keep the middle-order batsman quiet whilst people from the other end come in and take absolutely shocking wickets but that's just my opinion um the most satisfying i think is is sending an off stump cartwheeling um so it would have been my first game back after a bit of an absence it would have been about three years ago now started playing for a new club in the hampshire league uh first 40 over fixture with them brought on to bowl first change having the over before taking an absolute blinder of a slip in the cat uh, catching the slip which i hasten to add uh, bowled my first over, first five deliveries, decent line of length, moving away from the batsman to over the top of off. Next one, pitched on middle, came in, seemed off a little bit, a bit of movement away, took off stump, clear out of the ground. Uh, it made me look absolutely wonderful. Uh, and the next over, I got one of the worst wickets I've ever had, which was rank full toss. It was slapped straight to mid-wicket. Um, so it doesn't matter how you get them, it doesn't matter how they look. Uh, but the, it was the obscene next to the, the, the impressive in that case. Yeah, when, I think when you when you have a plan for how to bowl to a batsman and it comes off, it's immensely satisfying. Um, for me, who is very rarely in the wickets, it's just nice to get them. Uh, but that one in particular sticks in my mind. I was going to say that must be what the only two wickets you've got in your in your glistening clear as a bowler. That is uh, that is unfair. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that is definitely unfair. Um, but I yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't tend to take many, George. Um, I, I'm just there for the spirit of the game, you know. That's Absolutely. all I'm there for. I'm not bitter. Don't need you to tease me. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how we finish up at the end of the season. If I get more runs than you, then you should be embarrassed because I am not a batsman. Um, but so far, so good. 
three times as many runs, I think, in competitive matches this year. Is that because you played more matches than me, or just are we only counting the oh, one? No, 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 no. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not needling George. I'm not digging, but you know, you scored five, I scored fifteen, so it was a good day for me as long as I outscore you. Okay, okay, that's fine. No, no, I, I'll take that. I, that's fair play. I, I probably deserved that from the last comment I made. Okay, what would you, as a bowler, like to have in your armory? What would you like to be able to bowl? I know you can't bowl them currently, but would you like to be able to bowl? <laughs> I, I think the the one thing I would like to have, I'm talking about control and I'm going to maintain this conversation. I would like the ability to bowl six good balls and over, George. Um, that's the main thing for me. I think you know, I'm, I'm one of those, because I'm an optimistic clubby at best, and I need to stress this, I am in no way an expert. Like We'll save the expert the expertise and the bowling questions for Steve next time he's on. Um, but as an optimistic clubby, I think being able to bowl six, balls in a, six good balls in a row is, is good for me. Every three or four good deliveries I have, There'll be one bang average one, and there'll be one half tracker on leg that's going to get dismissed to the the, you know, the square leg boundary. Um, I think the other the, the other skill I would love to have as a as a bowler um, is is get a good outswinger as well as a good inswinger as well as a good outswinger. So as you know, George, because you see me, um, I, I, I'm fairly good at getting it to pitch on on le- uh, on leg or middle stump and getting it to seem away from a right-handed batsman. Uh, particularly good coming around the wicket when I can sort of zig it across their body and you know, get those get those nicks off to slip or, or take off stump out of the ground. What I would like is the ability to get an in-swinger to a right-hander as well. It's one of those days when you can set up your planning, you can set up your batsman with uh, you know, three or four uh, nice out-swingers before setting them up for that one that nips back in uh, and they play all across. I'd love to be able to do that with some sort of regularity. Um I'd like to be able to bowl consistently. I think that's the main thing that I want to see, George. What I'm getting at here is I'd like to be a better cricketer. Um, but, you know, we'll keep trying. We'll do some of uh, Steve Kirby's experimental sessions uh, just to get the hang of it and really test out some of those variations. Uh, but for now, yeah, the ability to bowl six good balls in an over would be nice. Uh, but the ability to bowl a good in-swinger uh, would be excellent for me. OK, so with your sort of discussion about bowling consistently, are we talking about six balls landing in the same spot or are we talking about a low economy rate? So I'm thinking of someone maybe like Darren Stevens. You might be thinking of maybe looking at going forward. He's had a fan, another fantastic game in the uh, county circuit. Been phenomenal over the last five or six years with his bowling and Red Bull cricket for Kent as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's. I think there's, there's, there's depth to it. You know, having control and having consistency isn't about getting it in the same place every time. It's about getting the ball to do what you want it to do. Because you can't really, you, you can equate for the batsman quite a lot. You know, you can make the batsman play certain jobs, but if they decide they're going to come at you, they're going to come at you. And you, you can do a certain amount to respond to it, but I think it's just about knowing what your plan is and sticking to your plan. If you can, if you can get six good balls pitching in the exact same place that you know is going to cause the batsman difficulty, and he's going to have to cover up, or he's going to have to make that decision about leaving it or playing at it. You know, that's all well and good. But if you've got six deliveries pitching in the same place, right in the slot that he's going to potentially hit back over your head, then you've got another problem. So yes, it's partly about getting them going, getting them to go in the same place every time. You know, if you're hitting that corridor of uncertainty, you're hitting the top of off every time, um, and you're making the batsman make that conscious decision to play or not. That's a good thing. But if you can't adapt your plan, you can't get the ball to go where you want it to go. If you can't even do what you want it to do, then it's not really going to pay off. So it's having that control. And it's having that variation, that knowledge um, that you can do certain things to it. At our level, I think getting the ball to pitch consistently in the same place and being regular is good. You know, we saw uh, one of the blokes in our team last week. He's known as a very consistent bowler. 
who regularly gets a good line of length. And if the batsman misses it, he hits the stumps. And that works at a club level. Slightly different when you get into the county championships. Obviously, it's slightly different when you move to an international level. Uh, but I think the, the ability to exercise control is what is critical to any bowler. You get your shock and awe players, of course. But the ones that will do you right day in, day out, series in, series out, are going to be the ones that have that control. Because you're, you're, you're big-name bowlers, you're, you're big quicks, you're real impact bowlers. You're, they're not going to be able to do that. They need to support the other end to make things happen. OK, so... Let's break it down then. I want you to tell me who bowls the best swinging deliveries. And I want you to try and think outside the box. Because I know straight away a lot of people are going to turn to perhaps one of the greatest bowlers of all time, James Anderson. And by all counts, I completely agree that James Anderson's probably one of the best bowlers and bowlers of swing ball. But let's look back through let's look back through time we've got Jacques Callis was very good. We've got um I'm sort of looking for who's the best sort of opening bowler. Who, who, whose attributes would you like to have if you had that shiny new red ball in your hand? Would you turn to someone like Simon Jones, for example? Over to you, Johnny. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, go with, I'll go with players who I remember seeing first, and then I'll go with players whose reputation precedes them or whose stats speak for themselves. So going for players that I've seen and um, players who... Uh, have got a good record and who are even well, well respected by their peers. If we're looking at, at, at fast um, swing bowlers, I would say you probably don't look, need to look any further than the South African Dale Stain. Glittering career, played for tons of teams, I think even featured for Hampshire at one point, but obviously you shouldn't even mention that. 93 test matches, 439 wickets, uh, an average of 22.95, an economy of 3.24, which is quite high. He's one of those players who could really get the ball swinging in the right conditions uh, and a real impact player. I think by Anderson's admission, uh, Stain had greater control over his swing than Anderson did. Um, career not quite as uh, as long-lived as Anderson's. Um, also slightly plagued by injury as well. Um, but you, you, there's, there's few finer, I think, certainly that I remember, um, than Stain uh, for South Africa. Uh, you mentioned Simon Jones as well. Um, uh, 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 an excellent bowler probably known more for having one outstandingly good series um, uh, and, and a player who's notoriously plagued by injury um, but when he could get it moving I'm sure you can, you can grab some good stats and some good uh, figures from the 2005 Ashes series uh, but Jones again an, an outstanding player on his day um, and a career cruelly cut short but being able to exercise the control that Stain had that I think Jones was lacking um, it's it, it one of the more important features that made him stand head and shoulders above some of the others. Turning to players that I never actually saw play, but I think whose um, whose reputations as uh, as swing bowlers um, really make the mark are actually two Pakistani players. So the first is Imran Khan, who throughout a very long career, also known as an all-rounder, now more prominently as as he president or prime minister of Pakistan. Prince Prime Minister. Prince Prime Minister of Pakistan. Um, the other uh, being Wakar Yunus, uh, one of the first proponents of reverse swing. Again, very long careers, extensive amount of wickets, 373 for Wakar Yunus in 87 matches, uh, an average of 23.56 and a common rate of 3.25. But being able to get that ball to move as he did in the air, being able to exploit uh, a reverse swing 
um, throughout the, the the late eighties, early nineties, um, really made him stand head and shoulders um, above many of his peers. I think the ability to get that swinging ball, uh, singing in the right conditions, um, is really really uh, prominent. So yeah, for me, the best swing bowlers probably Imran Khan and Wacker Yunus, and the one that I ever saw play, um, Dale Stain for South Africa. So Anderson and Broad, obviously. Sorry, George. No, 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 no. I, I was just about to say you need to choose one. Choose one for your experience. Well, one. To build your perfect uh, bowler. Uh, right, okay. Uh, uh, we'll go for Wacker Yunus then, the ability to reverse. Okay. Okay. All right. Next one then. The bouncer, something that you try to bowl and don't bowl very well. Why is it important to have a good bouncer in your armory? Um, I think, well, it's important to have a good bouncer that you use sparingly. Um, because it's the element of surprise, isn't it? Um, it's being able to bowl one of those deliveries that really unsettles a set batsman, um, particularly if you know that they are prone to to pulling or hooking, or they're, they're known to try to being taken in by the short ball. Um, it can be an intimidation method. You know, it can be something done to keep the run rate down, but it has to be used sparing. You know, I think if you're going up against good players who are who can play the pull shot, the hook shot well you're going to come off badly as a bowler, particularly if you lose control. But well-directed bouncers can really, really do damage. Um, now, I think you could probably going to ask me who I know who bowls the best bouncers or who I've seen bowl the best bouncer. Now, uh, there's, there's, there's a few options. And I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm probably going to end up plumping the players that I never saw play. But I think you'll look at, at any of the Westerners uh, who, who played against, uh, yeah, who took over the world, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, um, who, who bowled with such aggression and raw pace and shattered Mike Gatting's nose and, and did all sorts of brutal, aggressive, horrible things with cricket balls so brilliantly to put them at the top of the world. Um, you've got the likes of Alan Donald, uh, White Lightning, who could really, uh, really uh, make a mark with a short pitch delivery. Um, really sent down an impressive barrage as he did to um, Michael Atherton, uh, famously. Um, you've got the likes of Brett Lee as well, who could send down absolutely crippling deliveries at pace. Um, but I think, although I never saw them play properly, you've probably got to go for the likes of Malcolm Marshall and Michael Holding. Uh, again, for, for pace, for aggression, um, for its ability to turn the game on its head and really unsettle around seat to set batsmen. Uh, let's go with let's go with Malcolm Marshall. Let's go with Whispering Death. Okay. Obviously, there's a couple I've been thinking about. Obviously, Mitchell Johnson in the Down Under Ashes Series 2013-2014, bowling some lethal bounces at uh, the England Batsman. You also have as well. Obviously, I remember that famous one of Stephen Stephen Harmson in the first day of the first Test at Lord back in 2005, where we saw Ricky Ponton get his cut on his cheek as well. Those are obviously just a few of my sort of memory ones. Obviously, the bouncer often gets accused of being a bull, but it's really important, uh, as you've talked about, being about its effectiveness of it, about showing that aggression from a bowler. So, is it quite important for bowlers to realise at times when it's the right time to be aggressive and when the time, right time to be defensive? Um, yeah, well, of course, it's, it's, knowing the con- it's knowing the context of the game and being able to read the game effectively that, that makes its mark. Obviously, if you come in, and you're bowling uh, 90 mile an hour bouncers every delivery, then you know, your batsman's going to pick it. He's just going to get out of the way, or he's going to hook you. He's going to pull you. you know, there's 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 plenty wrong with it, and it's not necessarily a, a viable technique all the time. 
Um, also, it's important to know, I think actually um, bowling, it used to be at the umpire's discretion quite regularly, actually. So even in the 80s and I think even into the early 90s, uh, quick bowlers were discouraged from or banned from bowling bouncers at lower order batsmen because the assumption was that they wouldn't be able to play them effectively. So obviously it's, it's, it's well known that it's an, it's an intimidatory tactic. Now, it, it has its place. I think a well-directed bouncer and you know, a barrage of short-pitch bowling to intimidate batsmen is a, is a valid technique. It's a, it's a skill to bowl them well. Um, it, it may equate to leg theory, which is what some of the critics might say and might level against it. But I think being able to do it well um, is, is absolutely key. Um, picking your moments too. Obviously, you don't want to um, waste all your energy in deliveries that could you know, sail over the wicketkeeper's head, let alone the batsman. Uh, so being able to strike that balance is, is absolutely key. But yeah, I, I have nothing wrong with aggressive bowling. Um, definitely has its place. Might not make you any friends in the club game, um, but definitely uh, a, a viable technique in um, high standards of cricket. Okay, then. And the next uh, sort of skill, perfecting the Yorker. Why is the Yorker important in club cricket? Uh, the Yorker for the flip side of the bouncer. Um, being able to being able to you know, pitch pitch one up, uh, tripping up the batsman, aiming for the toes. It's a difficult shot to dig out. Um, yeah, the bats if they're driving at it, they run the risk of breaking their bat, right? Um, and it's also a, a, a hell of a delivery that, when pulled off, um, looks outstandingly good as well because you make the batsman look like a fool and you make yourself look very good. But pitched up, pitch at the stumps is absolutely absolutely critical. And it's a good it's a good delivery to offset with a shorter pitch delivery as well. So, um, sending it down the wicket, pitch it up to the batsman, lure them into a false sense of security before getting one to zip right into the stumps in your leg. Um, quite good if they're advancing down the pitch as well. So, if you know a batsman's going to charge you down, if you've picked up their trigger movements to come at you, um, you can then tailor your bowling to, to York them whilst they're in the step to come and charge you down. Um, it's quite a difficult delivery to bowl, I think it's fair to say. Again, maybe if I was answering my question earlier again, would I be able to like do anything? It's probably consistently bowl a Yorker because at a club level, I think it's very difficult to have uh, to, to to play out a Yorker effectively, and to uh, to play a defensive or an aggressive stroke to it. So it's a good method of stopping uh, the run rate as well. Particularly, I think if you're against a batsman who's well set. Um, and I'm trying to think who by who I've seen bowl excellent Yorkers, because um, I'm presuming that's going to be your next question, George. It is. Yes. Yeah, sorry, it will be my next question indeed. Absolutely. So. Who do you reckon bowls the best Yorker you've ever seen? I could talk about a few. Fonse oh, Thomas at Somerset, probably the best Yorker bowler I've ever seen. Effectively, consistently bowled it as well. And yes, Arafat, I remember them two bowling against um, the Birmingham Bears in the T20 a few years ago. And I think Somerset needed the, it was last four overs and Birmingham needed um, 10 runs to win. And I think between the two, bowling Yorker after Yorker for four overs and Birmingham Bears couldn't get, <laughs> couldn't get the runs at all. And I think... Somerset got over the line by winning by six runs in the end in that, main, in that match. So two fantastic bowlers of Yorkers. But your thoughts, Johnny, who bowls the best Yorker for you, for your, for your perfect bowler? My, my perfect bowler that, that I've seen, uh, probably Lassif Malinga. Um, it's A for the Yorker and B for the action. He had a very unorthodox, slingy action. I think it made him difficult to pick anyway. Um, but in particular, he was a, a, a known proponent of the Yorker. I think when, he, when it pulled off, it, it looked particularly good. And uh, looking back now, I think there was, a, was a, a game against New Zealand in which he got a, was it a, 
was it a hat trick? Was it four wickets in a row? I can't remember. Anyway, I distinctly remember him setting up Colin Monroe with a Yorker right in on the toes. A difficult slingy action to pick. Well pitched in at the toes. Um, almost impossible to play out. Um, so yeah, for me, for, for the Yorker, probably lasted for Linger. Um, Yorker combined with that slingy action worked very well. Close second, probably actually Darren Goff. For the same reason, again, he had a very slingy action. He came in quite, uh, quite. You know, he was a bit of a shorter bowler, um, so was able to get, uh, you know, rather than that, you know, the, the, the natural bounce, the natural length that taller bowlers get, getting closer, getting lower, sling it in, get a bit of skim off the surface as well. So yeah, Lassie Malinga uh, for the proponent of the Yorker. And then my last question for you: We'll save spin for another week, and we'll save the batsman and fielder for another week as well. Thank you for doing this off the cuff, John. You've done very, very well with this, I must say. Thank you kindly. <laughs> uh, the last the last ball we're interested in for our perfect bowler, for a medium pacer like yourself, is the slower ball. The slower ball. Righto. Well, uh, the slower ball is a difficult thing to get right. Um, I don't think I've ever out-and-out out nailed the slower ball. And you've seen me try. Um, it's just It seems very unnatural. Because I think the, the, the key thing, is to not have any element of your bowling action slowed down because that will immediately alert the batsman to what you're doing. It's just a release out of the hand that's supposed to lure them in. So if your run-up changes, if your arm speed changes, it all goes it all goes wrong. Or it's very easy to pick. Now I'm trying to think of my 05 Ashes example. Was it Stephen Harbison with a slower ball? To Michael against Clark. Michael Clark? Yeah. Yeah. Was probably the best example I've seen. I think one of the most consistent proponents of the slower ball that I've seen recently is probably Tom Curran. Particularly bowling at the death and combining slower, but not, not, not in the last year. I must admit that Curran's abilities, not Curran's abilities, but Curran's Four. figures, his stats, his capacity in particular was declined in the last 12 months or so. But actually Tom Curran in his prime, slower balls, slower ball Yorkers in the death overs, actually was, he was a very good proponent of it. He was, um, remains a very competent bowler so i think actually in terms of a young player who i've seen play more recently and appreciated the talent slightly more slow balls from tom curran and the odi matches have, have actually been very very noticeable and a, a good tool in the armory particularly at the uh, at the at the death so yeah tom curran slow ball okay so gonna put it all together now johnny could you just explain to me the perfect bowler in the attributes of the balls that you've picked from the bowlers you've picked for me? Okay, so I, I have a, I have a, yeah. So my my favourite bowler of all time, I'll I will come to in a minute. Yeah, we'll come to that in a minute. We'll come to that in a minute. We'll come to that in a minute. It's different, but the con- the combination. So for the the swing of, I went with Wapai Yunus, didn't I? The ability to reverse swing it as well. Yeah. Uh, my bouncer was Michael Holding. Uh, my Yorker was Lassif Malinga. And my slower ball was Tom Curran. Look at that. That, that, that. That's definitely a selection. And your all-time favourite bowler and the reasons for it, over to you. Uh, Chris Wokes um, is my all-time favourite bowler. Um, because uh, he is wonderfully... Con- uh, granted in English conditions, but he is a wonderfully consistent bowler. Uh, who has been able to fill all sorts of different roles uh, throughout his cricketing career? Now let's let's we'll, we'll take him. I think all all the way through the stages where he came into the England side quite young, didn't really get much of a show in. 
potentially billed as an eventual successor to Broad and Anderson with a new ball. I don't really see it. He's definitely very much in test cricket, a first change option. But in ODI cricket, uh, you know, he's a real match winner. Opens the bowling, put in match-winning performances against India and Australia in the 2019 World Cup. Continues to display excellent uh, range and technique in the shorter format of the game. He's definitely got legs as a test cricketer as well. Now, his stats might not support it, um, but I, I just think he's wonderful. He's done whatever, whatever job England have asked him to do, um, he has done a remarkable job. No slant for the bat either, I think it's fair to say. Good unbeaten 100 against India. Um, you know, looked unruffled uh, securing a win against Pakistan in the summer. Um, not, not even that old in comparison to test bowlers nowadays. I think he's only 32, so he's got a few years on Broad and Anderson. His test stats, only 38 test matches. Um, 112 wickets, again, not in itself outstanding. An economy rate of three, an average of 29.3 doesn't really doesn't really stand that. But I think he just he fills a wonderful place in the England side. He's able to do all the jobs you need him to do. Mr. Consistent with the ball. A, a very good fielder as well, uh, for what it's noted. I think actually he's a good all-round cricketer. But yeah, Chris Wokes is my favourite bowler. I think he's wonderful. Definitely has the right spirit. Does whatever the England team need him to do. Um, yeah, I just I rate him very highly. Harsh done by he's only got less than 40 test matches under his belt as well. Johnny Scowan, thank you very much.